0: In first Peter chapter four, verses twelve through nineteen. <clears throat> Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is God's word. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we uh, we love your word. We love you. We treasure um, this communication, this method you have to to touch our hearts with with, with your very um, word for us, your love letter to each one of us. And we thank you that Pastor Luke is here to share with us this morning. We pray that you would bless him. Um, work your miracle either in the words or in our ears and convict us and turn us toward you and let us grow closer and walk more um, faithfully in the light of your love as we are called to. We ask you these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Pastor Luke, welcome on board. You may drop the
1: Thank you, Pastor Joe. It's really good to be—wow, those are bright lights. Hello. Wow. <laughs> there you go. Okay, I'm going to have to readjust for a second. Um it's been uh, it's really good to be with you guys today, and uh, even though I can't see you because of these lights, no, I'm just I'm just kidding. Oh, I can't really see you, but I can see your eyes. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to know your pastor, Kyle. I've, we've only been here for a, a year and a half in East Providence. We I'm a Michigander, Midwesterner that spent my first few years with my family in uh in england pastoring we moved here a year and a half ago right before COVID started so our our time as new englander has been quite strange because it's basically been entirely COVID. um but yeah so we've I, i've really appreciated um the friendship of kyle we we off you can often find us uh, uh you can often find me at the coffee depot in warren because it's like the only coffee shop in all of rhode island that's been open and so that's where i kind of like to do some extra work and uh, so, you, you, yeah, you might see me around if you if you frequent the coffee depot. Um, but, yeah, I encourage you to have your Bibles open to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 19. The the, the actual passage isn't going to be up when I uh, am referring to it, so I think you'll be helped by having that open. The, I always tell my congregation, this sermon will go a lot easier and will be a lot more enjoyable if you're following along in the Bible because uh, you'll be wondering, what is that guy talking about? Man, he makes no sense. Um But yeah, thanks for having us today. We pray for Refuge Church regularly. Uh, In my pastoral prayer every week, I I pray for a different church in our area. So we have prayed for uh, Refuge several times uh, in the life of our church at Godspeed. How do we suffer well? Does that sound like a little bit of a strange question to you? You know, maybe suffering seems like just a fact of life, you know, like you can't do it good or bad. I mean, it wouldn't it be strange to you if I said, how do we, well, we're going to talk today about how we laugh well. You'd say, what? That's ridiculous. We don't laugh well or laugh poorly. We just, we just kind of laugh. But is suffering like this? Can we suffer well or suffer poorly? So suffering is an extraordinarily important topic in the Bible, and that's because the Bible, the, the Bible doesn't treat suffering as if it's meaningless or purposeless. Suffering changes us. It shapes us. It can either draw us near to God, can't it? Or or it can turn us away from God. It can give us deeper assurance of our faith. Or it can crumble our assurance. Suffering can make us bitter. Or it can make us tender. Suffering is, is the platform for our witness before the world, isn't it? Suffering shines the spotlight. Speaking of these spotlights, it shines the spotlight on what you believe at the deepest level. What you really trust, who you trust, what you really think about the future. So how you suffer is really important. The question in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 to 19 is answering this question. How do I suffer? How do we suffer well? And there's three answers in this text. The first answer is expect suffering. The second answer is rejoice in your suffering. And the third one is entrust your suffering soul to God. And that's going to be the three points of this sermon today. So, first, how do I suffer well? Expect it. Peter says says in verse 12 Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, or uh, sorry, at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So he describes suffering as a fiery ordeal. Now, it might be helpful to kind of, you know, this was in a series when I preached it, so we had, we had said a lot about the context in the background and that you haven't heard. But what you need to understand about this letter is that Peter is, is focusing here on what we call social suffering. Okay? In, in the beginning of the letter, he refers to these readers as exiles. Now, they're not exiles. They're not kind of immigrants in a foreign community. No, these are Greco-Roman residents. And so why would he refer to someone who is a homeborn native-born resident as an exile? Well, because they had rejected the pagan Roman religion, the Pantheon, etc, and they had adopted this new, quite strange, monotheistic religion of Christianity. And so because of this, they've become social exiles, cultural exiles, social pariahs. So although he, 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 he's certainly talking about the kind of suffering you, maybe you get a cancer diagnosis. That, that certainly applies here, but it's not his focus here. It's, he's speaking to Christians who are ostracized for their faith. Maybe slandered for their faith. faith, Ignored because of their faith. Judged because of their faith. The suffering may have been egregious, but it may, it may have been more subtle. Kind of like the suffering that, that you, may, you and I may feel today as Christians in a deeply secular society. If we're going to suffer well, the first thing we need to do is just change our expectations. Suffering should not take us by surprise, should it? It's easy for us, especially. Oh, there's a clock there. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm realizing all these little things here. Um, okay, there you go. Clock, lights. All right. Sorry. I'm, I'm still adjusting. Um, Kyle's going to laugh when he hears all this. Um, suffering shouldn't take us by surprise. You know, I think it's easy for us, um, modern people, to think that not suf- or suffering is abnormal, right? Sorry, I need to stay. And, and not suffering is, or, and suffering is the abnormal part of, of life, right? But, I, but that's just not the case. I can't count how many times in the last year I've been in the grocery store over at Shaw's in Riverside or something. And I've heard this loud speaker come over the, uh, over the intercom, in these unprecedented times, dot, dot, dot. And, and you know, at one level, I get it, right? It has been an unprecedented year. But, but one thing I want to say is that all of life is somewhat unprecedented. Suffering is not an anomaly in a broken world. But but this is particularly true for Christians. Suffering is not an anomaly in our lives. Because Christ said that following him would, would, would require bearing a cross. A disciple is not greater than his master. If Christ suffered, his servants will suffer as well. You know, I'm often puzzled when people who once professed faith in Christ Abandon Christ in suffering or because of suffering. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not puzzled because of the pain or the deep sorrow. I mean, I, I appreciate the soul crippling effects of suffering. But but I am puzzled because certainly that person knew that deep suffering existed before they became a Christian. And, and presumably, hopefully, they would have known that in becoming a Christian, you don't become a Christian to, to make your, your your life suffer a less. In fact, you're probably bringing on more suffering when you become a Christian. And so I'm afraid that such people just had no real idea what Christianity ever entailed from the beginning. Friends, the best way to prepare your, your, your soul for suffering is to expect it. But we're not just fatalists here. Notice verse 12. There is a divine and good purpose in your suffering if you are a Christian. Suffering is designed to test now, what, is a de- what does a test do? A test, a test is, is something designed to reveal the true nature, the true character of a thing. And so presumably all of you have taken tests. Maybe some of you, it's been a long time since you've taken a test. But you, you remember them, right? The, someone gives you a test in order to, to, to reveal whether your knowledge about a subject is real or if it's just fake. You know, you may have taken the driver's education class, but the test will reveal if you can actually drive safely. So, so tests reveal the realness of a thing. Okay? And this is so important. Suffering for the Christian, what that means is that it's it's not a punishment to test. For friends, if you are in Christ, then your punishment has already been paid in Christ. Okay. Jesus has exhausted the penalty for your sins. And therefore, there's no more punishment for you to take. Christ has already exhausted it. So your suffering, friends, is not a punishment. Rather, Peter refers to this as a fiery ordeal. That fiery ordeal carries the same meaning as what we often call a refining fire. Do you know what a refining fire is? Right? What someone does is they take precious metals, gold, silver, right? And they've got... it's. A, if you've ever seen like a nugget of gold or something, it's got all these impurities. It's actually not that beautiful to look at originally, is it? When, it? when it kind of first is mined out of the rock or something. But when you, someone puts, applies the refining fire to it, it, it burns away all the impurities. All that, all, anything that's not gold, it burns it away so that what you have at the end is this pure, beautiful substance. That's what a refining fire does. And that's what suffering is. The fire of affliction is a painful process, but a loving pruning designed to shape you into a Christ-like image. That means that suffering is actually an opportunity. It's an opportunity for God and for you and for the world to see that your faith in Jesus is real. The heat of suffering is going to burn away anything that's fake. And so what that means is when you suffer and then remain faithful in Christ, it's, guys, it's an incredible sign that your faith in Christ is genuine. Praise God. Some of you in this room, I don't know you personally, but I I imagine it's true. Some of you, many of you in this room have suffered deeply in your life. And yet this morning, instead of rejecting God, instead of rejecting Christ, instead of abandoning his people, you're sitting here gathered around God's people, sitting under the word of Christ. And that means, that should be a a massive assurance of your faith. That you have been through the fire, the affliction of suffering and yet your faith has remained genuine. And you you should receive some assurance because of that. Praise God. Number two. Rejoice in your suffering rejoice in your suffering in verse 13 in verse 13 peter says that we should rejoice in our suffering i mean what what is this about are we supposed to find painful experiences enjoyable are we to pretend and try to convince ourselves that rejection that isolation that being misunderstood that actually feels good no of course not To rejoice in suffering doesn't mean you have this kind of carefree, jolly attitude about suffering. Oh, it's no big deal. It doesn't mean that we kind of treat suffering lightly or casually. Absolutely not. That's nowhere in the Bible to be found. Joy in suffering acknowledges the reality, the severity of the suffering. But but there is a deep-seated contentment. There is a deep sense that there is actually meaning in this suffering. That's what joy here means. Why Why in the world would we rejoice at pain? I mean, that sounds ludicrous, right? He gives us three reasons. The first reason is because your suffering is actually a participation in the suffering of Christ. Rejoice in as much as, verse, let's see, 13. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You know, this is not abstract theology for Peter. I want to take you back to a story in in Acts chapter 5. Peter is preaching boldly, months after the death and resurrection of Jesus, in, in and around the temple in Jerusalem, the gospel. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you just have to take this in for a moment, right? It's only been three months. Three months ago, his best friend and lord and savior is preaching in and around the temple and making bold statements about jesus's identity and he's crucified primarily by the religious leaders in and around the temple because they're incensed at what he has said and now just three months later here's peter and his his group of friends doing the exact same thing they're preaching they've seen jesus be crucified and they're doing the same exact thing. And so the, once again, the religious leaders, they run them out of town, they give them a bit of a flogging, and, and Peter says this in Acts 5:41. Then the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had counted it worthy sorry, sorry, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Christ. Friends, do you believe? that suffering with Christ is better than comfort away from Christ? Is disgrace with Christ better to you than approval and affirmation away from Christ? How you ultimately answer that question will will decide whether your your faith is real or if it's fake. Brothers and sisters, if you think somehow that you can navigate in this world the approval of Christ and the affirmation and approval of the world at the same time, I'm just telling you, you cannot do that. It's not going to work. The second reason why we can rejoice in suffering, according to Peter, is because in reality, your your flourishing is not diminished by your suffering, all right? Watch with me here. Your flourishing is not diminished by your suffering. It's actually increased by it. Okay, now that statement is just totally nuts on its, on, on its head, isn't it? So let me unpack that a little bit. Verse 14 is a quotation from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. He says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Hashtag blessed, right? That, that word blessed in the Beatitudes... It's a very particular word it it, it carries the idea of flourishing it carries the idea of living the good life and not just the good life right now but the good life eternally flourishing eternally you want to know how to flourish read read the sermon on the mount be be blessed So, so do you feel the juxtaposition here he's saying that flourishing the good life occurs through insult what I mean I don't know about you but when I'm misunderstood when I'm criticized when I'm disparaged I feel crushed I mean I'm serious I'm, I'm often crushed by the disapproval of others but what he says that we can flourish not only in light of slander but because of it Why? Verse 14. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's the the remarkable aspect about the God we worship the Spirit of Christ actually draws nearer to us when we suffer. Suffering, listen to me, is not the absence of God. Suffering is not the absence of God. That's what people often say in suffering. Where was God? where is God right now? But in the Bible, God draws nearer to us in suffering. His presence comes closer to us. God is near the brokenhearted, Psalm thirty-four, seventeen. And if the spirit of Christ is with us, upon us, near us, then we will flourish. Let me give you an example of this from church history. Many of you will have maybe heard or read maybe even in your your public school before the the book pilgrims progress it's a kind of a christian it's a literary classic actually it's written by it's one of my favorite books i think i've read it it, read it about six times it's written by a famous puritan guy named john bunyan and um back in the 17th century this is an english baptist pastor who is really dissatisfied with the anglican pastors in in england uh, in his area and near, near and around the, the town of Bedford, because he he believed that these pastors of these churches, one that they didn't believe the gospel and they certainly were not preaching the gospel, and so he was incensed by this, and so he started having his setting up his own meetings where he would be preaching the gospel and the town was coming out to it in droves and the people were upset and this was illegal in the 17th century to, to kind of preach without the permission of the state the, England, you know, the Anglican church is the sponsored church this was illegal, okay? and so he gets indicted and arrested and, and yeah, put in prison, given a sentence of 12 years in prison for preaching the gospel in their community and of course, this meant that Bunyan would have to leave his wife and their young children. Not only that, one of his, wife, one, uh, his, wife, uh, one of his children had just passed away in childbirth. They were extremely poor. And, and so imprisonment for him really meant the literal ruin of his family. All Bunyan had to do was to, to agree to stop preaching. That's the only thing he had to do. But he wouldn't stop preaching, and so he went to jail for 12 years. And this is how he describes his prison sentence. I think it's going to be on the screen. He says this. This is how painful it was. The parting with my wife and my poor children hath oft been to me in this place like the pulling of flesh from my bones. Also because I should have often thought about, uh, often have brought to mind the many hardships, the miseries and wants that my poor family was like to meet with should I be taken from them, especially my poor blind child Mary, who lay nearer to my heart than all I had besides. Oh, the thoughts of the hardships I thought my blind one might go under. It would break my heart to pieces. I mean, how could Bunyan endure such pain? Because he knew that the presence of Christ surpassed Comfort away from Christ here's how hear here now, then, how Bunyan spoke of what God did in him during this time in prison. He says this, "I never had in all my life so great an inlet into the Word of God as now in prison, those scriptures that I saw nothing in before are made in this place and state to shine upon me. Sometimes when I have been in, in the savor of them, I have been able to laugh at destruction and to fear neither the horse nor his rider. I have had sweet, uh, sweet sights of the forgiveness of my sin in this place and of being with Jesus in another world. Did do you see that? Bunyan was flourishing in prison, not only despite his suffering, but because of it. Because Christ was made real and sweet to him there. Because God's word began to explode off the page to him. Because his, his, his longing for heaven became deeper and wider. Talk to another Christian who has suffered deeply, maybe a few years after. They'll often tell you, I sense God's comfort. I sense his presence, his love more more in that moment than in any moment in my life. If God's spirit rests upon you, then you will flourish, even through the most deep and terrible pain. The good life in the Bible is is not reserved for the rich and the famous and the well-vacationed and the well-resourced. The good life in the Bible is reserved for the redeemed, for the righteous through Christ, for the sufferers in Christ. Do you believe that? Third reason we can rejoice is because you just got nothing to ashamed of. Often suffering brings a sense of shame, and he's saying there is no shame. If you suffer as a, verse sixteen, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, again, here, here's the tricky part. That assumes that not all suffering is quote unquote Christian suffering, doesn't it? In fact, he's suggesting when you suffer, you might just want to pause and ask yourself, am I suffering because I'm just being a jerk, or am I suffering for Christ? Verse 15, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal. And You might be thinking, oh, great, I'm none of those things. Or even as a meddler. Now, the last one, meddling isn't like the others. It's the word used for people that are just agitators, you know, pesky. This is really important for us to hear. Peter is really aware that these Christians, as much as he's telling them, suffer for Christ, he's very aware it will be very easy for them, these these first century Christians, to start playing the victim card, to start playing the martyr card, when in reality they may be just being ostracized for their sin or for their lack of virtuous behavior. And if that was true then, I'm pretty sure it's still true now, isn't it? Over the last year, I've seen all kinds of people claim religious persecution when in reality, sometimes it just looked like they just didn't want anybody to tell them what to do. I've seen people claim suffering for Christ when in reality, people are just responding to their derogatory speech. To put it more bluntly, I've seen people just be jerks and say, I'm suffering for Jesus. But do you realize how dangerous that is? When the world sees people, Christians, acting unkindly, uncharitably, unjustly, or just being plain old rebellious, and then citing Christian persecution, that behavior, friends, preaches to the world. What does it preach to them? It preaches, Christianity is just a really convenient excuse for me to do what I want to do and feel good about it. But that's just that kind of Christianity is just a veneer on secularism, isn't it? That kind of Christianity just becomes an excuse for sin. And the world, when they see it, what do they do? They cry out, hypocrisy, sham. And you know what? They're right. That kind of Christianity is hypocrisy. It is a sham. So friends, if you are going to suffer, if if you're going to be a martyr, do a real heart check. Am I suffering for me or am I suffering for And friends, if you are suffering for Christ, he says, there's no shame. There is not an ounce of shame over that. You bear the name of Christ. It's something to be proud of. And if you are suffering for yourself, for your own sin, you know, it's just a great opportunity to repent. What if the world saw Christians as people, instead of being quick to defend themselves, quick to repent? Oh, man, what a great witness that would be. Number three, entrust your soul, suffering soul to a faithful God. Entrust your suffering soul to a faithful God. How do we suffer well? Entrust your suffering soul to a faithful God. If we're going to suffer well, if we're going to rejoice in and through suffering, the only way you can do that is to entrust everything you have to God. Here's what I mean. Suffering hurts, right, because it leaves us wanting some kind of resolution. We want justice when there isn't any. We want recompense. We want healing. We want wholeness. But suffering screams to us that we don't have any of those things. Instead of justice, we experience injustice. Instead of recompense, we see the guilty. they're the ones that seem to flourish. Instead of healing, we're hurting. Instead of wholeness, our lives feel totally fragmented. There's this famous line in the, in the book in a book, uh, "The Problem of Pain by C.S Lewis. And Lewis, Lewis says this about pain. He says, "Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, consciences. But he shouts in our pain. Our pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. In pain in suffering, God is, is shouting to us and shouting to the world, the world is not as it should be. You are not as you should be. And, and all your efforts to make the world as it should be are not working. That's what, that's what pain is shouting to the world. It's God's, what Lewis says, it's God's megaphone. And so you need to to entrust all these right desires for justice, for recompense, for healing and wholeness to someone other than you. You need need to entrust everything to God. Because here's the problem. If you try to exact that vengeance, it's never going to leave you satisfied, is it? If you try to exact, or if you try to heal yourself, you're always going to be broken. If you try to find fullness in yourself or someone else, you'll always remain fragmented. And so you must entrust your suffering soul to God. And he won't fail you, will he? He will, he promises, he will execute justice. He will heal. He will make your life whole and satisfied. But you'll never have these things if you try to manufacture them yourselves. And the reason that God can bring the justice you desire, the healing that you actually need, the reason that God can redeem your suffering soul is because, in this text, he is sovereign over it. He is sovereign over your suffering. Look at verse 19. Peter refers to God as the faithful creator. Now that's a bit odd to refer to him as faithful creator here. He's doing that to impress upon us that the sovereign creator of the universe is also the sovereign one over your suffering. If you worship a God that is surprised, caught off guard by your suffering, that is handcuffed in heaven, I would love to help you, but I just can't. Then you you worship a God that that just cannot help you in your suffering. Not only a God who is sovereign, who is in control of your suffering, can actually stop your suffering, can make your suffering meaningful, can redeem you in your suffering. And not only is he able to do that, he's faithful. He's a faithful creator, meaning he's, he'll never let you down. He'll never abandon you in the pit. He'll never forsake you in the valley of the shadow of death. He will prove faithful. He is faithful. I love the simplicity of that final phrase in verse 19. As you entrust your suffering soul to God, just continue doing good. The Christian life, friends, isn't intended to be just super complex sometimes we make it complex and certainly life is complex at times but what he's saying is trust that God simply do this trust that God is going to take care of you and take care of all these feelings for desires for justice and healing and wholeness trust that God's going to do that and then just get on doing good be a good neighbor Maybe you feel like the world around you is falling apart. Maybe you watch the news every night and you think, this this whole place is going to hell in a handbasket. And I, I, I've got to do something about it. Those are good desires. Maybe you're wondering, what should I do? What can I do? And I think Peter here would just simply suggest, trust God, he's going to work it out. Be a good neighbor. Amen. Do good right now in front of you. Amen. Don't make it overly complex. How freeing is that? All right, let's close with this. Why does all this talk about suffering matter? You know, why does it matter? Why does he spend so much time talking about it? Well, let me take you back to the beginning. Two things we can be certain of, right? The first thing we can be certain of, you're going to suffer. No amount of money, no amount of resources. You, could, you, could have, you can have built a whole life, a whole set of moats in your life to keep you from suffering. No one can get away from it, okay? So you're going to suffer. We know it. Secondly, your suffering is meaningful. It shapes the person you are. It changes you. Almost everyone I've, I've seen in that comes through my office with that's... that's deeply traumatized other people has received trauma. They've suffered. And and many of the people that have done great things, I see them, they've done great things because they've suffered deeply. Meaning, your suffering does things. It changes you. It shapes you. So you're going to suffer and it it matters for you and everyone around you, how you handle it. And if that's the case, Peter wants us to know you've got to learn how to suffer well. And he gives us the pathway in this sermon, in this text. He says, if you want to suffer well, you need to expect that suffering. Don't be surprised by it. Don't let it catch you off guard. Secondly, you can rejoice in it. It can actually lead to your flourishing. You can flourish more in suffering. And finally, when all else fails, entrust all those desires and all those unmet desires that, that cause the suffering in your soul. Just entrust them to God he will redeem them that's how we suffer well friends let's pray father um, you give us a great example the supreme example of suffering well in your son Christ who Mm -hmm. suffered on our behalf so that we didn't have to sit under the wrath of God, so that we could see life beyond the grave. And so, Lord, as, as if there's not any if there's someone in here today that has not in faith and trust, put their, their their life and their dependency on Christ, we pray that they would do that. And for those who have put their faith in Christ, Lord, I pray that the cross would change how they suffer. We can't avoid it. How we suffer makes a massive difference in our own life and in all the lives around us. Lord, teach us to look at the cross so that we would know how to suffer well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.